Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TriFaster podcast presented by Fort Worth Tri Club. My name is Michael, and I am joined here with my co-host, Coach Keith Kotar. Welcome. Hey, Michael. In today's podcast, we're going to be talking about some recent triathlon results. We had Oceanside last weekend. We also had some races in St. George. And coming up next weekend, we have Ironman Florida, a really stacked field. We talked about that in a lot of depth in last week's podcast. We also have Abu Dhabi this next weekend. So we're going to talk about all those races at the end of the podcast. Please stay tuned if you're interested in that. Um, But the main topic we're going to dive into is coached versus self-coach. Uh, and I think this is super applicable to a lot of athletes, especially the amateur field right now. We're, we're at the end of, we're approaching the off season. And a lot of people are probably asking themselves, Hey, what can I do to be better next year? And one of the most important things or most significant things you can think about or potentially dive into uh, is getting a coach, especially if you're self coach or you're using some generic training plans or maybe even some other platforms. Um, getting a coach is one of the biggest benefits you can make. We're going to dive into why that is, what we feel those benefits are. Um, and then also I'm going to share my own perspective on it because I've been doing triathlon for 13 years and I waited just about 12 years to get a coach. Um, so I'll show you my perspective on that and the benefits that I've seen over the past 12 years versus the most recent 12 to 18 months working with coach Keith here, but to really kick this topic off, Keith, I want to kick it to you and ask you the question really quick. Why should someone consider getting a coach? Well, I I think the first thing that you want to think about when you're getting a coach is uh, it's just the guidance that a coach can give you. And I think that for a lot of us, we started off in triathlon and we just wanted to have some fun and we're doing a sport and maybe we were serious or we weren't serious. But I think that there's a point when you've kind of reached what you can do on your own or what you can learn on your own um, without either finding a coach or at least having some sort of consultant out there. And so I think the biggest takeaway is just um, having a guide for some people. I think the coach reins you in and keeps you from doing too much. Um, And then I think in other people's cases, Um, A coach can be really motivating because maybe, you know, it's been one of those days where you really don't feel like working out, but then there's that level of accountability that a coach will provide. And so, you know, you, you want to get a workout done, uh, not just for you, but because, you know, your coach is looking over your shoulder. Um, And I think we'll probably talk about that later. Sometimes that's a negative trying to get things done just to get them done, but we'll, we can jump into that. Um, But then I also think that just uh, race specific preparation too is another thing because I think a lot of us will go into a race and we're thinking about maybe the main parts of the swim bike run, but we're not really thinking about what are we doing specifically for this race. And I think that a coach can be a really good guide with, you know, whatever your course looks like, you know, thinking about things that, especially if you're a beginner, you know, wetsuit swim, non-wetsuit swim, ocean swim versus a lake swim, you know, hilly ride versus a flat ride, technical ride. Um, and things like that, that maybe a coach can kind of dial in the training to be more specific to what you're going to do on race day. And so I think for me, that's, those are the the biggest parts of having a coach versus doing, trying to do it yourself. But so for you, Michael, what, what about you? Why do you think, yeah. Why did you make the switch to get a coach after 12 years without a coach? Yeah. So I wasn't being resistant to the idea of having a coach, um, but maybe naive to think I knew enough 
to keep improving. And like when we had our first podcast together, for those of you that listened to it, you know, one thing I described really quickly is that over the course of my triathlon career, I've gotten a little bit better every single year, gotten a little bit better, gotten a little bit better. And what, why would I need to get a coach if I'm better this year than I was last year was probably the most common thought. And then the other thought in my own mind is that I've always had a lot of fun doing it. So I completely understand when I'm talking to friends or or really anyone else that that is currently self-coached why they're in the position that they're in. Cause I was there for 12 years. I was doing the same thing that a lot of them were doing. If you're having fun doing it and you're continuing to get better at it, why change? Um, but for me, I think one of the biggest things that pushed me to well, kind of two things, one of the, the one of those being um, that pushed me to wanting to have a coach is um, this was all pre pandemic, but I had a really big goal. I had a huge goal that I wanted to run sub three hours in a marathon. Uh, and I recognized that I definitely didn't have the understanding or the knowledge on just the pure running side to probably accomplish that goal on my own. I didn't have the fitness. I didn't know how to build the plans. I didn't know how to plan for something that was, you know, at the time, you know, six to eight months away and what that training block would look like. So I wanted someone, I wanted you Keith to kind of help get me there. Um, that was a while ago, the race was canceled, delayed. Um, we've really just been focusing on triathlon over the past 18 months. Um, but at the same time, as, as we kind of transitioned away from marathon training and into triathlon training, we've had the most successful year by far of any year I've had in triathlon in 2021. Um, for me, what, what has really driven me to the idea of being coached is, is efficiency. Because I look at a lot of the training I did over the past 12 years, and it was, you know, post-college or, you know, single, or maybe, you know, had just been married, but didn't have a kid yet. Life is just throughout those 12 years also gotten progressively busier and busier and busier. And I look at my life now and I need every bit of time that I can get out of my training to handle other things that are going on in my life. So when I look at a training plan, I can't have fluff in the training program. I can't have extra hours that aren't going to be driving me to actually get better, helping me get to my goal. So, um, so, so for me, I think that's probably been one of the most impactful things because historically that, yeah, Hey, here's that two hour or that three hour long ride, um, or runs that are just too intense throughout the regular week and leaving me short on the weekend. Um, efficiency was a big one personally. So I think that was, was even more so important than kind of the goal I was reaching out for in a marathon. Um, but that was just me, Keith, I'm interested to hear from, from your perspective, when do you think athletes should be reaching out to you to get advice or involvement from a coach? I think there are kind of two opportunities to, to look for a coach. And I think the first one um, is just whenever you start doing triathlon, once you've kind of done the first couple of tries, I, I don't, I don't know that I've ever encountered anyone that's wanted to hire a coach the first time out, you know, before they do just their local sprint try or something like that. But I think that once you get to a point where either, you know, the positive or negative, I, I think a lot of people do triathlon because it's kind of a bucket list thing. You know, they want to do a half Ironman or lots of people want to do an Ironman and, you know, maybe they're only going to do one and then they're, they're falling out of the sport. Um, but I think that 
it's it's usually when you step up in distance, especially if you're a beginner and you're kind of wanting to jump straight into you know a seventy point three or a full. Um, I think that's a good opportunity to get a coach. And then I think the the second time that people kind of have that inkling that it's time is when you do want to get a little bit more serious. You know, I think a lot of people, they want to finish races and that's one thing and you can do it on your own. But if you get to the point where you want to finish races a little bit faster, um, you want to be a little more comfortable when you get to the finish line of that 70.3 or, you know, if you've got really, really high goals where, you know, you're wanting to qualify for Kona or you're wanting to qualify for even something like age group nationals. um, I think that's when you start, the, to develop that need for a coach, because there are lots of people out there that have coaches and there are lots of coaches out there. And I think that there are enough people that are willing to hire a coach to try to qualify for those races that there's only so much you can get from self-guidance, especially when you have a job and you have other things. Um, you're not like I am where all I do in my free time is try to learn about coaching Right. I think age groupers generally only have so much time to invest into all that kind of science. So I think you're uh, once you're trying to get more competitive, that's when when you start to look for a coach. Do you like when you take on a new athlete, where are they typically coming from? Are they coming from like my background was, hey, I've been doing this sport a very long time and I've been using different training plans. Uh, or are you seeing a lot more people reaching out, um, more, more athletes on your team coming from, Hey, I just did this once or twice, but now I really want to take it seriously. I have a big goal. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious to know, like, when are people reaching out? I think I'm, I'm getting a pretty even number of both. And so the, I think the most common thing that I hear from an athlete is that they're just looking for a little bit more structure and direction and whether or not they're coming from a different coach or if they're coming from self-coached. Um, I think most, most athletes are looking for something that's a little bit more specific to them than some generic plan. And they're looking for that guidance to get them a little bit better because they feel like that generic plan has kind of run its course and they're not seeing the same improvements that they would get. And so I think I'm getting it a little bit of both. I've got a, I've had a couple people mm-hmm. reach out to me that have just gotten into triathlon. And so they're pretty new. And then I've got a handful that are at the point where they want to grow in the sport and they're, they've got some bigger goals. Yeah. I can totally respect those athletes that have been running with the generic plan for a while, been there, been in your shoes before. Uh, and I think it works. So I respect that if that's something that is working for your lifestyle and that plan is helping you get faster. But one thing that I, I certainly know is over the past 18 months, I've had one injury and that's because I, 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 I tripped on a stick and I sprained my ankle. So it wasn't the result of overuse. It was just me being clumsy and, and misstepping. Um, but I do know over the past 12 years, it was probably at least once a year, I was having to go to physical therapy for over an overuse injury. I mean, I've, 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 I've had overuse injuries in my hip from being on the trainer too much. Uh, and riding Zwift too hard over the winter time, which you think a lot of times that you can't get an overuse injury from riding your bike, but you very, you very much can. Uh, I've had overuse injuries in my knees and my ankles and other things like that from running in or trying to build up volume too much. Um, and it's not, I don't want to say the plans out there are bad because I think the plans out there that really a, a lot of times well-respected coaches put together. You can find these plans on training peaks. Um, I use trainer roads triathlon plans for a long time. Again, um, well, 
I know a lot of people will say trainer road plans are too hard. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think probably there's a lot of athletes just choosing the wrong plan for them though. I think that happens more often than not. And that in, in result, an injury occurs. So, um, that would be the one caution. And I think over the past 18 months, it's just been great to not have, I I definitely don't have all the little pain and niggles and everything else that you might experience if you're self-coached and you have that type a mentality of I'm going to drive myself into the ground for two or three weeks and take a couple of days off. And then I'm going to drive myself into the ground for two or three weeks and take a couple of days off. So, so for me, that's been a major, a huge change uh, in working with you, Keith. That's good. I'm glad to see that you've stayed healthy. And I think that's a common thing too, that when you're, when you're coaching yourself, right, you're trying to push yourself all the time and you feel like you've got to work hard all the time. But I think that a lot of people are afraid to just slow down, you know, and, and use that 80, 20 approach that, you know, some people talk about or the, a little bit more polarized and, and have some easy days in there, especially um, when it's the right time of year, you don't need to be going hard in every sport twice a week all year round there's times of year where one quality workout in each sport is sufficient yeah i I didn't i know i've heard that but i i definitely wasn't of the belief that that was true um so one of my biggest takeaways and probably if anyone's listening it's like hey do you want to go easier and get faster like (laughs) i think everybody would love to just like hey you can go easier get faster and enjoy your sport more. If you have a coach that's actually prescribing your training based off whatever you're doing, right? Myself, it was, I'm going to go as hard as possible for as long as possible. And that's going to make me faster. Uh, and that's not, that's not the right way to approach it every single time. You really need a coach there to kind of help you through the process and make sure that you're taking uh, or making the, the most out of every workout. And sometimes workouts need to be for recovery, but, um, I want to ask you, cause, cause certainly I can, I could probably talk a little bit about, Hey, how did, how do you select a coach? Um, but maybe you can talk about it a little bit, a little bit more because you're, you're in that seat. I, I think the first thing you want to look for is try to find a coach that fits your needs. And so there are a lot of coaches out there that maybe specialize in a certain area. And so if you feel like you have a specific need, then that will narrow down your coaches. Um, and so I, there's, I guess the rarest form of coach that you would be looking for is someone that specializes in draft legal. So if you are listening to this and you're a teenager and you're planning to race junior or something like that, then you've got a very limited number of coaches. But I think for the normal age grouper that wants to race at really any distance, it doesn't really matter what distance it is. There are lots of coaches out there, right? And They've got all kinds of different plans and different ways that they want to coach. And so I think um, it, you need to look at what, how they want to coach you and then what their limitations are. And so I think for me as a coach, the thing that drives me crazy about other coaches the most is when you look at a, a coach's website and they've got you know four different plans and basically the only difference between every plan is the amount of communication between the coach and the athlete. And so I, that's one thing I, I have no desire to ever limit, you know, I mean, I think if someone was calling me every single day, maybe we'd have to talk about it, but you know, I, I think that as an athlete, you're paying to get in an, an individualized plan. And so if something is going on, you know, and you need to make a change, then you need to make a change. And I think that 
most competent coaches will be able to help you make that change pretty easily. It won't be, it's not a big laborious change. You know, if you need to shift a couple of workouts here and there, right. It's, and then, so I think the communication is the first thing and look at, you know, how much individual attention are they going to give you? So if you're getting a program and the coach says you're allowed one email a week, you really can't make a whole lot of adjustments and changes and, and convey a lot of feeling with just one email a week. And so I think that's the first part. And then I think the second part is to kind of look at the experience and what their background is. And so, you know, when you're looking for a coach that maybe they're brand new and they might be a great coach. And so I think that's when you'd have to sit down and definitely talk to them, see what their background is, where they're coming from. Because every coach has been a new coach. I was a new coach once, you know, 12 or so years ago. And so we've all been there where we're starting from the beginning and we have zero credentials, right? And zero athlete race results to show off. We just kind of have to go off, you know, our knowledge of the sport. Um, and so have specific questions, you know, interview a coach. Don't just interview one coach. You know, I mean, if sometimes you might interview that coach and they are the fit and maybe you only need to interview one. But it doesn't hurt to interview a couple, especially um, if you live in an area like here in Fort Worth. If you put Fort Worth into USA Triathlon's coach finder, tons of coaches will come up. And there's really not any way to separate one from the other unless you talk to them, because they're all going to basically look the same on paper as far as what you can find online. And so I think it comes down to talking to the coach and then seeing if they're going to fit your needs as an athlete. I think that's hugely important. Yes, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know how to say this politely, certified coaches, um, but really getting an understanding of what's their, you know, educational backgrounds, how are they staying on top of their profession and how are they going to, or how are they planning to coach you if you become one of their athletes? I know for me personally, though, um, Obviously, I think it's really easy just because of our, you know, our friendship, Keith. But um, for me, if I if I was looking for a coach today, one of the biggest things I'd be hunting down is can I have? I need to have a coach that's going to talk to me. That's also going to understand my life, right? Because coaching uh, and everything that you're doing in the swim, the bike, and the run is, unless you're a professional, is going to be secondary or. or at best is going to be secondary to everything else that's going on in your life, right? We all have family obligations and work obligations that have to come first. And it's so important, I think, for your coach to understand that. How much, how demanding is your work life? Are you able to fit in key workouts during the week? You know, if you're a medical professional working 12 hour days, you probably are not going to fit super key workouts in during the week or on days that you have shifts. Um, if you're a firefighter or some other physically demanding job, maybe days when you're at work again, that, that could be prohibitive. So I think it's super important for a coach to understand all the aspects of your life. What's your family life like, right? I have a young kid at home. We have another one on the way. So, um, my wife is due in January and Keith, I know you're probably already thinking like, there's probably not going to be much happening in January on our, on the training uh, plan. And, and that, that makes a lot of sense. Right. But a coach, uh, back to your point that, Hey, I can email once like, Hey, in December, I'd have to email my coach and be like, um, Hey, just heads up by the way, don't forget, 
um, might be out in January and I'm not going to have very good workout compliance because my wife is due. Uh, I, I think that's, that's prohibitive of like a good athlete coach relationship. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of people out there that can help design plans for you of different types of different methodologies, but if they don't understand what's going on in your life and, all the life demands that you have with family work and, and everything else going on, then it's not going to be successful. It's not going to work out for you. So, so be cautious of that. The coach and the, the methodology is one aspect, but how well do they understand you and want to get to know you um, is another aspect. Yeah. And I do want to go back to what you said about lots of certified coaches out there. Uh, I don't know how many people have ever looked into becoming a certified coach in any sport but it's, it's fairly easy. If you go onto USA triathlons website, you can kind of read about how you become a level one coach. And basically you just go to a class for a couple of days. And I think it's actually easier now. I think the level one classes are virtual completely. They you used to have to go to go to somewhere, right. And you would sit in a classroom for 10 hours for a couple of days. But now um, I think the level one is you can just sit and take it virtually and it's a fairly easy multiple choice test that you take at the end of it. And then you're a certified coach and it's just two days. It's not like you have a, you've gone to college for four years in some degree field, right? You have spent a couple of days around other coaches and learned a lot of basic things. And um, there is a little bit of a differentiation as far as USAT goes. I think once you get to level two and then there's a massive differentiation when you get to level three, uh, because level three clinics are very rare and it's very, very rigorous uh, to get that level three certification. I think there's only 25 or so level three coaches in the U.S. And so that's when you start to weed people out, I think, is once you get from the level one to level two, because it's a little bit harder. Uh, but at the same time, you know, most people can go into a level two clinic and, you know, pass the presentation and pass the test and all that. And so there is an element of doing your own research on your coach and what they've done in the past and who they've worked with and how they work with those people. Yeah. And also talk to other athletes, right? A lot of coaches just like, like you, Keith run teams, um, look at what they're doing on social media, reach out to some of the athletes or ask the coach if they'll give you some references of athletes to talk to and how their training has gone. I think that's, that all makes a lot of sense, especially um, just considering a coach is a major investment in your training, right? You're not going to go out and probably spend uh, $6,000 on a brand new bike without first sitting at home and researching that bike and the components and the wheels that come with it. I think it, it makes all the, the sense in the world to research your coach, how they, how they function, how are they going to, you know, do they, do they offer group workouts? How do those work? Can you drop in once or twice to see how it goes? Like all that stuff I think makes sense is to just to get to know them and to let them get to know you. Right. Which and kind looking of looking at it as an investment, right. I think that's, yeah. that's part of it because you spend lots of money on these races and you spend lots of money on bikes. You might as well spend some money to make sure that you're prepared to perform well. Otherwise you're just going on a really expensive vacation. And you could be in for a really painful few hours, depending on the race. Yeah, I think most triathletes are welcome to the idea of a couple painful hours in the course of a race. I think that's what we all sign up for. Um, but it doesn't always have to be, right? One thing that I'll, I'll just quickly throw out there is, you know, his, historically over the past 12 years, 
before getting a coach, I would kind of categorize all racing as probably like a nine or 10 on the pain scale, right? Like it just, you're going to go hard. I've had the, I've had races, even workouts where you're just like ready to, to lose it at the end of the race. Uh, you can't hold your food down. You can't hold water down. You just went that hard. You went that deep. Um, uh, and this year I raced three half Ironmans, which is more than I've ever raced in a given year, uh, PR and probably uh, the 5k, the 10k distance ran two minutes slower than my half marathon standalone time. And that was just a moderate workout, right? That, that Keith, you were a little reluctant to let me even put on the schedule. So definitely in half marathon PR pace, uh, fitness, uh, and then blew away my PR in the half Ironman distance. And I would say all of those races were probably on the, just the perceived exertion scale, significantly easier than races I did in the past. It kind of like, kind of makes me want to unlock my mind a little bit. Like I want to go as hard as I used to go. Um, but also understanding life requirements. Now, if I go that hard, I'm going to be sitting on the couch and not unable to move for two or three days. And my wife is not going to allow that. Right. So like, I still kind of have to balance a little bit of some of the, the life dynamics with, with my racing and my training. You don't always have to kill yourself, I guess, would kind of be the takeaway there. You, and you can have races. Um, you know, the Ironman 70.3 World Championships would be my example, where I raced just two minutes slower than I did there earlier in the spring uh, for the spring race. And I would probably put it at like a seven to eight out of 10 on the perceived exertion scale and pretty fresh, probably a couple of days later. So let me ask another question, Keith, is like, when you're kind of engaging with a new athlete, what are you doing or how do you help prep a new athlete to, to make sure that you're going to get the most out of that relationship going forward? Are there some things that come to your mind? Like, Hey, this is really important for you to communicate to new athletes to, to help in that relationship. Yes. And I, I think the first thing is you just try to learn as much about their daily life as possible because when you're coaching age groupers, right? If it's an adult, they're getting up in the morning, they're maybe they're taking their kids to school. They're most likely going to work. You know, I think we're still in the phase where maybe some people are working at home and they actually are a little more flexible with training, but they're getting up, they're working, you know, they're going to be tired at the end of the day. What do they have to do at the end of the day? Do they have to pick their kids up from school take them to soccer practice, you know, things like that. And so how much time does an athlete really have every day that they can commit? And I think that's one thing that some athletes are surprised about when we sit down to meet because we'll sit, sit and look at the week and they'll say, Hey, I really only have an hour on the weekdays, but I've got tons of time on the weekends. Um, and then I've had some people that are the opposite where they want to cut the weekends off from training and that's their family time. And they're going to get up at some ridiculous time and get a massive long ride in on the trainer at four o'clock in the morning or three 30 in the morning on a weekday because that's how they want to structure their schedule. And so I think learning all those little quirks about each individual person is the most important thing. And then I think working backwards from there, learning a little bit about their athletic history as much as possible, really a little bit is an understatement. I think as much as possible about their athletic history, um, because there's a big difference between someone that's been doing triathlon for a long time. And then someone else that's maybe been playing a team sport and is new to triathlon or played basketball a long time ago and now they're 35 and they haven't done anything since then right and so 
learning about how much they can handle so that you can make sure to progress their load appropriately with time. And so um, athletic history and then injury history is probably the next one. You know, do they have any chronic injuries? Have they torn an ACL or had some major damage here or there, you know, from a team sport 20 years ago? Um, I've had that crop up sometimes where I'll say, hey, have you had any major injuries? And someone will say no. And then we'll be a few few weeks or months into coaching and they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, I have this torn labrum from a long time ago that was repaired. And now it's kind of bothering me And that. Even if it was repaired, I think that counts as, you know, injury history because it had to get taken care of. And so those are those are the three big ones as a coach. I, I think from the athlete perspective, those are all super important. And if I had to like distill it down to one topic, to me, my mind goes like, you just have to be open and honest with everything that's going on. Like your history is important, but even once you're in, in the training, right? You have to be open and honest. Like how hard was that workout, right? You might be able to see my heart rate data, um, but I might be a little bit more fatigued. I wasn't able to get my heart rate up or, you know, hard workouts, you know, are going to be hard, but sometimes I get on the bike and it's just like, man, that easy workout was not easy anymore. I, I recall going back earlier this, this spring when I did 70.3 St. George, then I did a week of hiking with the family afterward. And I got back Keith. you had just an easy week on the schedule and I was just going easy. And at the end of the week, I, I told, I told you, I was like, Hey, that just doesn't feel easy right now. Easy spins on the bike, easy jogs. I'm fatigued. I'm tired. I'm sleeping in extra late. I wasn't able to get up when the alarm was going off. Uh, and you, you decided to prescribe me a second easy week, right? Just understanding that fatigue, then, um, me communicating, being honest with you, allowed you to kind of customize that training approach to make sure that when we came back after that race, that my body was really ready for it. Um, it was probably part, probably part mental and physical because of how hard St. George, the course is that race, the heat, um, and everything that was going on with travel. So I think right. it's just about being open and honest. Yeah. And I think that that transparency too helps focus in on what your goals are, because if someone comes to me and says, Hey, I want to qualify for Kona. And then we look at their schedule and they have five or six hours a week to train. Then we might need to adjust those goals to maybe let's finish a 70.3 first. And then we'll yeah. talk about yeah. getting to Kona. And, and if you can open some things up here and there, I'm not going to say it's not possible, but it would be much more challenging than then someone that can train even 10, 10 or 12 hours a week would be probably that, that threshold. Right. And so when you're yeah. looking at your goals, maybe you're not going to qualify for Kona training five hours a week, but maybe you could shake things up and do pretty well at age group nationals on, on five or six hours a week. Keith, is this a bad time to tell you that I want to qualify for Kona next year? We'll work on Oh man! All jokes aside, um, we will be talking about at some point in the near future our race plans and our goals, what we're hoping to accomplish for 2022. That's not today, um, so we'll save all that for a future podcast. Um, yep. Hey, I want to ask also, like, Mike Mo said he has no interest in an Ironman, so yeah. Uh, I, also, though, I be surprised. I think I've done like seven or eight half Ironmans, and I've retired from triathlon after each and every single one of them. So. Yes, I, I have done, I've done 23 halves and at, at least in half of them, I've never wanted to do an Ironman when I got to the finish line. <laughs> uh, so it's, yeah. uh, it'll happen. It goes through your mind, but you forget about it pretty quick. 
when we were, when we were in Waco last weekend, I was out there thinking, God, I never really want to do this again. And then when I woke up on Monday morning and I wasn't able to work out because I didn't have time, I was disappointed. So, yeah, my my pro tip is just retire at the end of every half Ironman or every triathlon that you do, because guess what? People love a comeback. Uh, It makes it a lot more exciting for everybody. So. (laughs) All right. So, Michael, uh, since you just hired a coach, what are the what are the differences that you've seen in those last 18 months? Yeah. So I, I know I've already shared a lot of these with you so far, but, but really quick kind of summarize some of them and maybe expand in some others. Um, I've already mentioned, Hey, I've come from the background of using generic training plans, using trainer road plans. Um, and, and the biggest difference just from the training plan perspective is now the plan is specific for my life. Right. So if a busy period is coming up, Keith, you're customizing it. You're making sure that, Hey, you don't have the amount of time that you normally have this week. Um, but maybe next week we can make up for that or, you know, you're going to have a couple of days off here. We can get in a long run or a long bike or something else going on. Um, I think the ability um, to have you customize my workouts for my life is, is probably the most important or the most, the key factor. Uh, you understand what's going on. Um, and then, then next, I would say overall, I would, probably, and this is, this is anecdotal, uh, haven't gone in and looked at the data, but I would say my overall intensity, if we were to look at it from a power, um, intensity factor, uh, or a heart rate perspective is probably lower by a pretty good degree versus what I was doing prior, especially probably what I was doing five, six years ago. I, I know every single workout, if I wasn't, oh, my heart rate didn't get to 165 or 170, then I, I probably wasn't working hard enough. So um, overall, I have a ton of workouts right now in zone two versus historically, I, I just didn't work out down in, in the lower intensities all that often. And I think that probably attributes to a couple of things. One, I'm just generally fresher. I'm enjoying the sport more because uh, it's fun to get out on an easy bike ride. It's fun to go on an easy jog. And then um, it's also probably the one of the main reasons that I haven't had the injuries that I've had experienced in the past, right? Just going a little bit easier, giving your body time to recover and being prepared for those key workouts when they come up, I think is is been a super benefit to my overall fitness. Um, you know, right. o- think- lower... Sorry, go ahead, Keith. I, I just I was gonna say when you're when you're talking about doing the harder workouts, and earlier you had mentioned the trainer road plans as being, you know, some people think they're way too hard and some people think they're fine. Um, I think that one of the things when you use some of those programs, and I think what what happens with trainer road is that it's too biased toward the cycling because trainer road does have a triathlon plan now in there and it gives you swims and runs but the swims and runs are fairly generic. And what happens is it seems like the rides are the centerpiece, which makes sense because their platform is cycling and they want you to use the platform. But otherwise, if you're not using the platform regularly, I'm sure people would say, why am I paying for this? Right. Um, But I think what happens is you look at some of those trainer road plans and they've got three quality rides in there every week. And I think that if you're trying to fit in one or two quality runs, two or three quality swims, then that total number of quality workouts goes up. But if you're an age grouper and you're only working out six to nine times a week, maybe depending on who you are, maybe, you know, an age group with lots of time, maybe 12 times a week, but 
if you're only looking at six to nine sessions and three of them are hard rides and you've got two hard runs and two hard swims, then that's seven out of your nine sessions are quality workouts. And so I think you're naturally just going to have a lot of time, you know, in that, that higher end. Whereas if you can look at a trainer road plan and say, yeah, these things make sense. But I think you also have to think about, is there a workout that I can trim or adjust, right? They might give you three sets of two by three minutes at 110% of your FTP, but maybe you could just do two sets of two by three minutes at 110% or something like that, Mm -hmm. just to kind of help things balance out. Because we are in the, I think as coaches, we're looking for the minimum of minimum effective dose, right. With every stimulus. I think that's a good one, right? Like give me the least amount of work I need to do to improve, right? Don't give me more than necessary. That's going to run me down, get me injured or get me sick. Give me the minimum to help me improve. And then the next week build on that. Now I will go out there and say, uh, I listen to the trainer road podcast. I'm a big fan of, of what they're doing over there with adaptive training. Um, they did just release that this last week, I believe. So, um, if coaching is something that is not in your price range, I think trainer road is a great option. In fact, I think a lot of the training peaks plans are a really good option. If you can find one and you, you are being specific about, Hey, this one is the right one for me. I think you have to know a little bit to pick the right plan. Um, I love the idea of adaptive training and using machine learning. Learning. Like they, they use all these pretty fun terms. Um, but what the, the idea behind it is it understands how hard different workouts it are and it evaluates how well you do in those workouts. Um, they're trying to build a computer that's a coach, but this is the very first version of it. I guarantee that a coach is just going to do it better. Uh, and I, you know, Nate, uh, the CEO, uh, when they first introduced the concept of adaptive training was 100% saying that their goal is to not ever replace coaches. Their goal is to just help those people that can't afford a coach financial for financial reasons, um, to be able to get the best training that they can possibly get. And that's what trainer row has always been after. I think it's awesome what they're doing. You can do a lot with data. It's probably going to get you 80% there, maybe 90% there. Who knows what that ultimate number is going to be, but a coach is going to be someone that can really look at what's going on in your life and make the adjustments, right? The other downside is trainer roads, adaptive training doesn't account for outdoor rides right now. And it doesn't account for, uh, swims and runs at all. So they have updated their triathlon plans, but it doesn't account for swims and runs at all. Well, I think, I think they mentioned that it adapts whether or not you did the workout, not how well you completed the workout. So, so a really big gap for triathletes. If you're, if you're thinking about utilizing trainer road, love the platform, used it many, many years, and I've gotten way faster using it, but I don't think it's going to help get you to your peak. Right. So I'm kind of continuing on the same thought. Hey, what are some of the biggest changes for me? Um, overall, I would say my volume of, of base training sticking in that zone two space, what that volume is significantly higher. And that makes sense. I've been doing a lot more of it than I've ever done before. So I would say I just had a lot more base miles on the bike and the run. Probably not so much the swim, but that's that's a little bit my own fault and for not really wanting to get into the pool and not having as much access to being in a pool as regularly. But, um, when I look at just the quality of 
my runs and the bikes and the swims even, right. You were prescribing my swims for, you know, the couple month period that I had access to a pool this year. Um, I, I would say the overall quality is significantly higher historically you know, over the past 12 years before working with Yuki, if I went out for a long run, it would just be whatever I was feeling that day. Uh, I never had any sort of significant structure other than run hard for a certain period of time or go out. And, um, most of my runs were just go out for an hour, go out for 90 minutes, maybe a two hour run there. If I was feeling super aggressive and the, the pace would be constant. But even now, when I look at my long runs, we have, sometimes we have those easy long runs, but we also have some steady or some quality long runs in there where we're still getting the mileage on the weekend, but we're throwing in some quality, some speed, some tempo work, which really adds a, a nice touch to it. Same that that takes place on the bike. Same thing for the swim. In fact, this year on the swim, I was really pleased with, with how I swam at 70.3 worlds. Swam a minute and a half faster than I did in May and without a wetsuit, same exact course, minute and a half faster without a wetsuit. And when I came out of the water at 70.3 worlds, I was feeling just like, Hey, that, that was easy. That was, that was a really good warm up, ready to go. So, um, definitely the quality of the workouts has probably helped position me in that, in that space. And then the last, last kind of differentiator for me personally, um, working with you, Keith has been, I would say someone to rein me in, right. A coach is definitely someone to rein you in me personally. I love to do my workouts on Zwift and, and Keith, you, you, you give me my workouts. I just go sit down on Zwift and I do the, the workouts on the bike while I'm riding on Zwift. Um, unfortunately I don't always I'm not the best in terms of compliance with the workouts. Probably the best example. The, the most recent example is this last weekend where it was supposed to be like a, a 90 minute easy bike ride. I wasn't able to get outside for that. Like I would like to, but I went down onto the trainer, was riding on the trainer for a while, looked at on Zwift, what events are coming up. And I got, I just got caught up in a, in a Zwift race. So probably a lot of you out there can understand or relate, especially if you're on Zwift. It's such a fun platform because it, it engages you socially. You're riding there with other people. Um, but it also kind of it sweeps you up into a race probably too often. And I'm um, just kind of texting with you. You're just like, why did you do that? That might, you know, ultimately, right. You didn't, you didn't make me feel bad for it, but um, that might impact some of my future workouts or how I perform because it's throwing off the plan of, of what you had intended for. Right. Right. But at the same time, it's one of those things that keeps it fun in your training. So yeah, as long as you tell me and I know, uh, then we can make that adjustment. But when Zwift pops up on the training peaks, then it's a little bit, it's a little surprising. <laughs> <laughs> well, usually, no, I'm, I'm doing a lot better lately, but occasionally you like to let it loose. You have a little fun or you're riding there. The problem with Zwift is you're riding with a group and then one or two people surge and you want to stay with that group for the ride. Um, and you're like, Oh, they're not going to hold this pace for too long. So I'll just do it for 30, 60 seconds. We'll be fine over the top of this hill. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily end up that way. So, um, probably not something I'm going to quit completely, but I know you're looking at the workouts. You'll bring me back in. Uh, if something gets a little too out of hand. Yeah. And right now you don't have any races probably up there. We still have one more triathlon yeah. here in DFW. It's probably a little bit colder up there. So the race is done. Yeah. I'm wearing my sweatshirt right now. It's freezing temps at night. So winter is coming. Yeah.
All right. So, so last thing on this topic, Keith, what would you say, or how do you know if a coach is right for you quickly? What do you think? I think, you know, that your coach is right. If you are improving, I think if you're feeling better in your workouts every day, and I think that if you've got a focus and that, that coach is guiding you toward the right focus, um, can a coach guarantee that you're going to meet your goal? Not necessarily, right? Because coaching in the end is science. And I feel like science is really just, we're putting theory into practice, right? Based on things that have shown to be somewhat true in the past, right? But science is always changing and we're always learning. So really all coaches are making highly, highly educated guesses. And that's, that's how it works out. So we can never guarantee that you're going to reach some goal. But I think that if you're seeing a steady improvement and that goal is reasonable, then, and you're, it, it feels reasonable. Obviously when you set the goal, hopefully it's reasonable, but if you get to race day and maybe your goal is to get top three in your age group, but man, you got fifth and there were three really fast guys there. That's one of those intangible goals. But if you can set some process goals and make sure that you're getting there, right. And that you can perform on, on race day, then I think, you know, that, that you're in the right situation. Yeah. And then I, I would leave it with, if you want to get faster, maybe go a little bit easier in your training, especially if you're a type a personality, like myself, have fun. You want to, you want to have some new PRs. I think really considering reaching out to a couple coaches and starting that conversation could be a worthwhile endeavor. So for sure. All right, let's transition it now to some race news. Last week, we did a whole bunch of previews. We're not going to uh, preview Abu Dhabi other than just saying, hey, that's coming up this next weekend. But last weekend, we saw Oceanside. Super exciting race, both the men's and the women's side. On the men's side, a big group of athletes came out of the water all together. Uh, unfortunately, one of those athletes, Eric Lagerstrom, had a bike crash, so he wasn't there in the final results. But um, overall, Ben Canute took the win. Mickey Tagle second and Sam Appleton third Keith, what stuck out to you about this race? I, I think the biggest thing for me was how fast Ben Canute ran. Um, it was good to see him have the fastest ride. He had the fastest swim. He had the fastest ride. And then he goes out and he's able to put down the second fastest run uh, by just a few seconds behind Jason West. And so it's, it's good to see that he's coming around on the run uh, back in his junior days. You know, he wasn't, uh, one of the fastest runners, he was, he won two junior national championships by getting off the front on the bike. And it's just nice to see his progression from, from being kind of a middle of the pack runner as a teenager. And he's just slowly chipped away to where one eleven thirty nine is really fast um, off the bike. Yeah, I, that, that's amazing. Um, I, I was surprised to see Jason West. He was there in the group coming out of the water and he got dropped on the bike. Yeah. And he gave up four minutes on the bike. I don't know if something else happened there. I haven't seen anything anywhere on that. So I'm um, interested to know if it was just him getting disconnected for some particular reason. But usually when you see all those guys come out, none of, none of them were probably threats to break up the group, maybe except for Sam Appleton. It looks like he, he finished or he came in off the bike with everybody else. So um, to see Jason West get knocked off the back was a little, was a little surprising. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, absolutely. Good job, Ben Canute, on that performance. Um, but it makes a little sense as well. I mean, he's been doing shorter distance races this year, 
Um, and just last weekend we saw him at the LA try take the win there as well. Right. And I think, I mean, I don't know the, the deep dive into his training, but I think we can probably assume he was training pretty hard to race sprint and super sprint in the Olympic distance because he right. wanted to qualify for this Olympics. And yeah. so, you know, got the legs probably, right. And he's just kind of shifting back to the long course, but I'm excited for him. I hope that we get to see him race Kona sometime soon. I don't know. I haven't seen if he's planning to try to qualify for Paris or not in a couple of years, but mm-hmm. um, if he's ready to move up, it'd be exciting to watch for How sure. How old is Ben Canoe? He is 29. Okay. So he's got some time, he, I, but I would definitely yeah. love to see him on some long course events, especially if he can bring this type of speed. Excellent. Yeah. No. Okay, no, cool. I think he's 29. Maybe, maybe he's 30. Okay. 29. He was born in either 91 or 92, I think. Okay. I'm trying to think back, but yeah. Um, and then how about the women's race? Uh, I was, I was super shocked by what we saw, but mine, I think, did we both get the top three of this race? Right. But not maybe the order. I know the yeah. top three, I had, I had these top three. This is not the order we had them. So, uh, overall, Paul Finley took the one Emma Pallant second, Jenny Metzler third. I think I had it Jenny Metzler first and Emma second. Paula third. And my main thing was we didn't know where Paula was coming from. She pulled out just seven, eight weeks ago from 70.3 worlds due to an ankle injury. She decided to come down to Oceanside. She swam what the second fastest swim, the, 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 the swim times, it looks like the group really got blown to pieces a little bit. So there wasn't really any massive groups on the swim, um, but she blew apart the bike. Uh, fastest bike by five and a half minutes. Yeah. That's where she won the race. And maybe that was, uh, because her run isn't, isn't quite where she thought it was going to be competitive. And so when you're in that situation, your only option, if you want to be competitive is swim hard and bike hard. And so I'm, I'm guessing she just laid it on the line on the ride and tried to hang yeah. on and she still <laughs> ran well. 121 isn't slow, uh, by oh. any means. Um, and so it's, it's good to see her get a win uh, to close yeah, out, but year. a minute faster over Emma in the water, five and a half minutes faster over Emma on the bike. And she held her off on the run. There's, you're just not going to cover up that type of ground. She, she held off two minute gap to Emma Pallet at the end. Um, but another really good result by Jeannie Mensler. She's always there. She's always so close to, I think, some breakthrough performances and some wins. Uh, we also saw here uh, Miranda Carfrey. We talked about her last week. She unfortunately had a huge gash in her tire. I saw on Instagram. I've never seen a tire blow out quite that bad. Um, so she unfortunately didn't finish the race. Yeah. And then uh, the other race that we wanted to talk about a little bit was the ITU or not the IT world triathlon now uh, Pan American championship that took place in St. George over the weekend. And I think one of my, one of my picks for the win, uh, Irving Perez, he ended up winning by five seconds over Charles Paquette of Canada. And our top American was Brent Demarest in third. And we did have Americans get second and third in the under, under 23. And so that was Chase McQueen and Austin Hinman. They're both 23 and they were able to get silver and bronze medals in the under 23. And then um, looking at the women, um, uh, Gina Serino, I don't think I made picks on the women's side, um, but she was kind of my favorite coming in. And Gina went uh, 206.51, and she won by just six seconds over Dominika Jamnicki from Canada and uh, Cecilia 
Sayuri Ramirez Alaves from Mexico finished in third. And um, on the under 23 side for the women, um, Liberty Rica uh, was able to get the bronze medal and she finished um, just a few places back in the overall. Um, if you've never seen one of the, uh, the major championships for, or the continental championships for the pros, they race with the U23s. And so it's, it's one race and then they just pull the under 23s out um, into separate results uh, for the under 23 medals. Um, and then looking at the junior races, um, an American man, uh, Nick Holmes, he's 19. He won the junior race. And I was trying to follow these. Uh, as you know, I had a, one of our fourth TC athletes was, was in the junior race. And one of the clubs uh, down in New Braunfels, they were streaming, streaming the race onto Instagram. So I was trying to follow along as best I could and uh, check out what was going on. Um, but uh, Nicholas Holmes, he's American. He was able to get the win. Um, and then our guy Hudson, he finished um, in 17th and we were really, really happy uh, for him. He was able to kind of get into the bigger group on the bike and uh, stay with them. And then he had a pretty solid day on the run. Um, and then another Texan, uh, Faith Dasso, she finished in second in the junior women's race. So pretty happy for her. She's only race age 17. And so she's got two more years of junior left and um, she will get to see her race at junior worlds this weekend in Portugal. So really excited for them. Awesome. Keith, I think that covers it for our race recaps this week. Anything else? No, I think that's it. Just don't forget to tune into the uh, World Triathlon Series Abu Dhabi this weekend uh, because that does count toward the 2022 World Championship standings. So that was one of the races that's traditionally in the spring and they pushed it back to the fall and then it's going to count for next year's series. So the World Championship of 2022 has already started. Awesome. Well, everybody, thank you guys so much for listening. I'm really happy that we had this conversation, Keith, on coach versus self-coach. Um, maybe you also kind of learned a couple of things about my perspective over the past 12 years and why it took so long. Uh, I wish I hadn't waited as long as I did, but um, again, everyone, you can find our Instagram handles in the description and Keith's website, fortworthtriclub.com as well. So thanks everybody for listening. We'll catch you guys in the next one. Thanks. See ya.